As the crowds increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment of it, with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body is also full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it would be just as full of light as when a light lamp shines its light on you. This is the word of the Lord. It's good to be here this evening and hopefully to have learned from some mistakes earlier on in the day, which Tom has already um, alluded to, um, which hopefully will be of benefit to us as we have a think on this passage this evening together. And do keep it open in front of you if you can. That would be really helpful. Um, it is, I think, um, now only five weeks from the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. Um, and I suppose, well, for people like, if you're, if you're my age or um, a little bit older or a bit younger, it, the Queen's just always been around and we seem to come, come across these major celebrations really quite often, don't we? It's only a few years since her 90th birthday celebrations and it was the, it was a Diamond Jubilee before that one, wasn't it? Uh, and the Golden Jubilee before that. I can remember the Silver Jubilee. I know there are some who can remember the Coronation, but we won't go into that. But just, Im a couple of nods. just imagine for a moment that as part of the Jubilee celebrations, it was announced that the Queen would, would pay a visit to Thurnby, that this was going to be one of the destinations where she would come, and uh, she was going to have a parade down Main Street and, and round the streets. Um, I think it's fair to say that everyone would come out for that one, wouldn't they? And, and those who are perhaps not particularly royalist um, would probably put that aside to be part of the crowd. Uh, and every crack in every pavement would be would be sealed up and made to look good. And they'd be bunting on the houses. And if you had a house front that was facing where the Queen was going to go past, you would make sure that it had a fresh repaint and have a drive as smart as the Coling's new drive if you were there on Main Street, if you've been to Holly's Way recently. And just imagine that was happening and there were people lining the streets. And as the Queen's cavalcade comes down the street, and people begin to shout out to her as she comes past. And you hear what they're shouting and they're shouting, you're not the real queen, you're a fraud, you're a con merchant. And it was all caught on camera, and it was all over the news later on that evening. You're not really royalty, if you are, prove it to us. It'd be terrible, wouldn't it? You know, the name of Thurnby would be mud, that's, that's all that we'd be famous for. Uh, we'd finally make the six o'clock news, and it would be for a bunch of people insulting the queen on her platinum jubilee. Well, it's not exactly the same, but in some respects, we might say that is what is happening to Jesus at this stage in his ministry. 
uh, as we get to Luke chapter 11. And we certainly saw it in the previous section. It's a few weeks ago now that we read the previous bit of chapter 11 uh, in the weeks leading up to Easter. But we've seen in various ways that Jesus is God's king and he's arrived. And yet people are accusing him of things and they're abusing him in some cases. And some are just doubting him and testing him. And if you remember the last time that we were in this passage, uh, back in, in, in verse, verses 15 and 16, we could see those different reactions to, to Jesus as he performed that amazing miracle and healed the man. Uh, some of them said he was doing it by the prince of demons, accusing Jesus of being evil in what he was doing. And then others, verse 16, tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. And then Jesus responds to both of those groups of people. And again, if you were here a few weeks ago, you may remember we saw in the, in the next few verses, particularly how he responded to those who said, you're in league with the devil. And essentially, Jesus told them that was, that was a ridiculous thing to say, completely illogical and making no sense at all. But then he carries on in, in our passage today that Andy's just read for us from verse 29 to respond to the second group of people, the ones from verse 16, who didn't initially accuse him of anything, they just demanded that he would give them some more proof, show them a sign of who he was. Um, maybe you know people like this too. Again, said this a few weeks ago, didn't, didn't we? There, there are plenty of people out there still who would like a sign from God, who, who say things like, I would believe in God if he would just show himself to me, if he would just give me some kind of demonstration to show that he is real, that he is there. And of course, sometimes that comes from a very genuine place of someone searching who has questions. And when shown some of the evidence of what Jesus said and did and who he, who he is, ready to make a response because of the impact it has. But other times, and it does sadly seem to be the case with these people here in, in Luke 16, when people demand signs like this, it can be more of an avoidance strategy with Jesus. For people who who don't believe and actually don't really want to believe and are looking for a reason to stay exactly as they are. It sounds reasonable, doesn't it? You know, please give us a sign. Please show us something. Give us some evidence. Except that that's exactly what Jesus has been doing right through his ministry. He's just done a miracle in front of them. And now they're asking for more. They've got question after question, but perhaps no intention of doing anything with the answers. And Jesus, in some ways, at this point, has had enough. And I don't mean that he's exasperated or he's, you know, he's, at the, he's lost his rag or he's got no patience left or anything like that. Uh, he knows that he's dealing with people like this and he gives one of his big warnings. And uh, you know, there, I think Andy's hesitation was more to do with whether his glasses should be on or off and what the, what the words were at the end there. But actually, they are words that we hear, aren't they? Some of these serious words and think, whoa, this is the word of the Lord. We need to think about these ones here. So it's not an easy passage. And I guess it's one of the, the advantages and in some ways the disadvantages of taking the approach of reading consecutively through the Gospels. We can't avoid the knotty bits. And uh, I mean, it's classic, isn't it? The way it's fallen. You know, I got Jesus and the devil last time. The sign of Jonah today. And I've got woe on the Pharisees next week. Didn't get the Good Samaritan, did I? The Lord's Prayer. Don't complain, all right? Don't complain. No, I think this is a, a helpful passage to us, despite the fact that in some respects it's a tricky one and a difficult one. And so let's have a look at the warning that Jesus does give and then think about what it means for you and me. 
First of all, Jesus' warning there, verse 29. He says, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. And of course, the obvious question we need to ask first is, well, what is the sign of Jonah? Um, now, what do you think of when you think of Jonah? I'm, it's always tricky when there's someone in the congregation called Jonah. That does change it for some of you, doesn't it? But thinking back to the Old Testament and the prophet Jonah, what comes to mind? The big fish I hear from the back of church. Some of you are probably thinking whale, and we don't have time to debate which of those it was this evening. Um, that's the thing which most people would think of with Jonah, isn't it? It's a very short book in the Old Testament. In some ways, it's surprisingly well-known, given its size. But then, given what happens in it, perhaps it's not that surprising after all. Uh, if you know anything about the character of Jonah, you might think of him as the slightly grumpy prophet, you know, the one who was sent by God to preach, and instead headed off in the opposite direction to do exactly what God didn't tell him to do. Um, which is, again, perhaps not surprising, being sent to preach in Nineveh, which was a terrible place full of people doing terrible things, including to God's people. And Jonah didn't want to go. And of course, he ends up inside the big fish, uh, and he runs away, and he ends up vomited onto a beach and going to do what God has told him to do. Well, what's the sign of Jonah? What does Jesus mean by this? Well, Luke doesn't give us this detail, but if you read Matthew's account of what Jesus says here to these people, uh, there's a little bit more than we find in Luke's gospel. So in Matthew chapter 12 um, and verse 40, uh, Matthew adds this. Jesus says, No sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In other words, this is about Easter. The sign of jo Jonah is the sign of the death and resurrection of Jesus. It turns out this is actually a very appropriate passage to be reading at this time of year. Um, as I said, Jesus has already given, by this stage in his ministry, many signs of who he is and of what he's come to do. But in the end, there will be one sign that is so clear it cannot be ignored unless we choose to ignore it. And it's his death and his resurrection. And it's about judgment and it's about rescue. And in the end, that's the question for everyone. What is your response to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God? There is forgiveness in him for everyone who repents. That is the Easter message. Now, of course, the people of Nineveh, um, they didn't get to see what had happened to Jonah before he got there, did they? Um, they were not present in the storm uh, when Jonah um, you know, had himself thrown over into the sea to save the people on the boat, and then God rescued him with the fish and sent him back on the right track. But verse 32, look what Jesus says. They believed uh, when Jonah said the men of Nineveh repented at the, uh, the preaching of Jonah. And again, similarly for us, we were not there, were we? when Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, give or take. We were not there with those women at the tomb on that first Easter morning. But to be a Christian is to hear Jesus' death and resurrection proclaimed, told to us. Uh, and it's to hear it and to believe and to repent because of Jesus the King. And so the meaning of the sign of Jonah is that God has given all the sign that is needed, the proof that we want, 
that many people want is his beloved son risen from the dead. And the warning is to repent or face judgment. And later on in the book of Acts, Luke will, will continue speaking on this theme in his second book in quite a famous verse, Acts chapter 17, verse 31, the theme of the risen Christ who will also be the judge, uh, where it says, God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice through one man who is Jesus Christ the King. And the proof of this given to everyone is that he has raised him from the dead. Those things go together. This is all the warning you need, Jesus says to these people. You ask for a sign. Well, I know your hearts. Here's the sign. There's one day appointed for judgment, and the proof of it is Easter. And of course, it's been foreshadowed for centuries in the Old Testament. Uh, and uh, Jesus has been repeatedly speaking about the fact that he is going to go to the cross and will rise again. If you glance back a couple of chapters, I think it's in Luke 9, he mentions it twice, specifically. Later on, there will be hundreds of witnesses to the resurrection. You want evidence? Well, the evidence is there, and it's going to be there. And so there doesn't need to be any other. So how do we respond to what Jesus says? Well, a couple of things we need to, to note, first of all, with this. First of all, how offensive it probably would have felt to many people what Jesus was saying here. Um, he is very blunt. Verse 31, uh, the queen of the south, he says, will be there at the judgment when it comes with all the people of this generation, and she will be the one condemning you. Why? Because she came to hear Solomon's wisdom. Again, you may remember the story from the Old Testament, the queen of the south, not a reference to a Scottish football team, to any who may be wondering. Sometimes better known as the Queen of Sheba. You may know her tune. You may even have had it played at your wedding. I don't know. That was written a long time after it happened, though. Uh, but she was someone very important, very rich, who came with a caravan of camels and lavish gifts. And she came to the court of Solomon, the Lord's chosen king, to hear the wisdom of God. She made her response, Jesus says, but you lot haven't to the people there. And now one greater than Solomon is here. And then he says something similar about the men of Nineveh and their response when Jonah preached. Now, even this bunch of, of pretty wicked Gentiles, they were vicious and cruel. Um, the, the kinds of things that they had got up to, we would describe them as war crimes in today's world. Even they responded to the word of God, Jesus says, um, to the signs that they were given and to the warning that judgment was coming. Jesus is... He's blunt, isn't he? He's not polite at this point. That's the first thing. Um, secondly, what was it that the people of Nineveh did when they heard what Jonah said to them? Well, they repented, didn't they? Uh, they repented. They listened, and it made a different difference. Jonah warned them that there would be judgment because of what they were doing, but that there was still time to repent. And that's what they did. And when God saw it, if you look at the end of Jonah chapter 3, they are saved from the destruction that was coming because they turned away from it. In fact, that's why Jonah didn't want to go and preach to them because he knew what they'd done and he, he wanted them to get what they deserved and not be rescued from it. Well, it's the same now, says Jesus. It's the same for you lot listening to me. It's the same for everyone. The response you need to make to the warning I'm giving you is to repent. And remember, repent is not just a kind of religious word that we, we often use it in church, I know, um, which means, you know, feel sorry 
uh, or, or have that kind of internal feeling. To repent is to, is to stop going the way that you're going and to turn around and to start going in the opposite direction. When Jesus calls us to repent, it always makes a difference in our lives. Um, I was uh, heading in a car around the ring road the other day with someone else in my car. I was chatting to them, and because we were chatting, uh, we went straight on when we should have come off and, and, and turned right at a roundabout. But it was all right. There was another roundabout not long afterwards, and so we were able to repent, turn around the roundabout and go back the way we had been coming. Uh, and go in a different direction, and, and it was all good. We ended up back on the right course again. Um, Jesus' message, like Jonah's, is a call to repentance. Um, come with me, he says. Come a different way. Uh, and when we look at what he says about it elsewhere in the Gospels, he's saying, come a better way. Come and walk a good way, uh, a way full of blessing, where you can leave behind your struggles and your selfishness and find good things and forgiveness with me. So finally, what does this mean for people like you and me today? And this is where I need to mention those probably even trickier verses, um, 33 to 36. Um, and they are tricky, aren't they? Sometimes the things that Jesus says are not easy. And sometimes they're not easy because they're not easy to obey. But sometimes they're just not easy to, to follow and to get our heads around. All this stuff about lamps and eyes and lights. You don't hide a lamp under a bowl. Your eye is the lamp of your body. Uh, when it's healthy, your body is full of light. So make sure the light that is in you is full of light and not darkness. And if you're anything like me, when you first read that, you, you stop and think, okay, just run that past me again, Jesus, would you? I don't think it is easy to follow. Um, I think, though, that in the end, Jesus' message here is relatively simple. Uh, essentially, it's be careful how you listen to what Jesus is saying and to what you take in. Now, we were talking about this at staff meeting on Monday when we often read the passages that are coming up uh, for the, the, the Sunday following. And someone pointed out what Jesus says right at the end of the previous passage. If you glance back to verse 28, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And I think that's what Jesus is expanding on here. And it's a little bit confusing because we wouldn't often use the picture of an eye uh, when we're talking about hearing something. You know, we might think, well, why doesn't he talk about um, the ear of the body rather than the eye of the body? But if you look in the Psalms, there are quite a number of examples there of how the image of the eye is used for how we receive God's word. Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, uh, very famously. Uh, in verse 18, the psalmist says, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. And then a little bit later on, uh, he says, turn my eyes from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. And Jesus is using eyes in this sense, I think. The lamp of the body, the way that we receive the light of God's truth, or not, as the case may be. In which case, we're left in darkness. If my eyes are focused on the wrong things and not taking in what God is saying to me in Jesus, namely that, first and foremost, he died and is risen to give forgiveness and hope, uh, then it's like trying to read with cataracts and just not being able to see things, not taking in the light that we need, I think. Um, so in the end, this is a short passage with quite a simple message. Here's the sign. Jesus died and he rose again. It's the sign of salvation and judgment for anyone who repents. So what is your response to this truth 
that he is giving to us. And so I want to finish by saying two things as we think about our responses. First of all, that the application of, the direct application of what Jesus says here is probably not primarily for most of us sitting here in church this evening. Um, this warning to repent, which is contained within this passage, um, that's a good warning to have, but I take it that most of us have heard this. The reason we're here tonight, isn't it, is that we've, we've heard the message of Jesus' death and resurrection, and we've been struck both by th in our heads as we think about it and in our hearts as we were singing about it with such gusto a moment ago and are people who are wanting to listen and have already responded. And I'm assuming that that is almost all of us here in church this evening. And so I want to say for you, if that is you, in this passage of serious warning, there is actually assurance and hope. Um, the reason Jesus puts it like he does is because he's got a crowd of people in front of him who don't want to hear it. But again, I trust that is not most of us. And so he talks about the Queen of Sheba, who was powerful and wealthy, but who came to listen to what Solomon, God's king, have, has to say. Jesus is greater than Solomon. His message is even better. And again, these Ninevites, these pretty terrible people who were vicious and cruel, but who repented when they heard Jonah's message and they were saved. Well, how much more will your rescue be absolutely guaranteed if you have made that response to someone greater than Solomon? And so first of all, I want to say be encouraged by that this evening. That is what Jesus has already promised to those who have turned to him. And he's proved it at the cross and by rising from the dead. Um, that's the first thing. Um, but also secondly, I think it is worth being reminded because uh, we constantly need to be reminded of this as God's people, that repentance is not an easy thing, is it? And it's an ongoing part of the Christian life. Uh, we turn to follow Jesus and then our it's, we're like supermarket trolleys who are, you know, are not good supermarket trolleys. Our tendency is for the, you know, the casters to get stuck and for us to start to spin round again and to start moving in the wrong direction, even when we're trying to go in the right direction. I certainly do that all the time, and I'm sure you do too. And so I think it was, was it Luther who said that all of life is repentance? That may not be Luther, but somebody, Dick's nodding at me, so it must be Luther. Um, he was right. Um, the practice of being a Christian is always about turning away from the things as we're reminded about what, not is, what is not right and turning back to follow the Lord Jesus. The good news is that he is constantly forgiving us for those mistakes that we make and things that we get wrong. And of course, this is often not a popular message because no one really likes being told to change, do they? Uh, we like to be as we are. Uh, it's easy to talk about how Jesus welcomes everybody. It's not quite so easy to talk about how he welcomes us and then says to us, I've got a better way for you to live. And so, well, perhaps it, 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 it ought to make all of us nervous sometimes uh, because there are no exceptions to, to when Jesus welcomes people. And we come to him and, and, and we say, and uh, Jesus, can I keep my lifestyle just, just the way that it is? The short answer is, is always no, um, because the key word is my, can I keep my lifestyle? And he says, no, I've got a better lifestyle, a better way for you to live. And there are always things that do need to change. And so one reflection for us as those who have turned to him is to continually be asking, Lord, what is there in my life that you want to work on 
at the moment. Um, We might ask, if I come to Jesus, will I have to do something about my prejudices towards people who are different from me? Or if I come to him, uh, will I have to change my attitude towards my money and my stuff? Will I have to become more generous? Or if I come to him and I'm sleeping with someone who I'm not married to, uh, will I be expected, Lord, to change my living arrangements? If I come to Jesus, will I have to rearrange my whole list of priorities in order to put him first? And I know that many of us have have found that it's not an easy call to follow Jesus for ourselves, is it? But it is worth it, as verse 36 says, to have a whole body that is full of light and not darkness. And even as the evil men of Nineveh found, there is joy and delight in responding to Jesus' warning and promise and to this great sign of his death and resurrection. Let's just pause and pray for a moment. We praise you and we thank you, the Lord Jesus, because uh, you are the God who has, who has given a sign to people like us. And it's a great sign of hope. When we look at your death on the cross, we look at the Lord of heaven and earth dying in our place, dealing with our stuff, pouring out your love for us. And when we come to that empty tomb, we see the proof that you have won the victory and the reality that you are alive and that there is hope. And so we thank you that you are the God we can trust. We thank you too for the assurance that when we turn to you in repentance, even when it's faltering repentance and we're constantly struggling with it, that you have promised never to let go of us. Thank you that if you did that much, even for those people of Nineveh, you will surely do it to those you have saved by your death and resurrection. And Lord, so we pray that you would help us uh, not to become satisfied with how things are now, but to continually look forward to, to the people you are wanting to make us ready for the day when you return. Lord, show us the things in our lives where we need to, to still turn away from things and turn to you. And Lord, help us find blessing in doing that. And fill us with your spirit that we might trust you. For we ask it in your name. Amen.